0: It is the 200 level episode 343, Mike Carpenter in the basement studio on a Monday evening doing the first live pod in some time. I think it was all the way back during basketball season, maybe that absolutely abysmal NCAA tournament game. We don't need to speak of that. But we have a few things to cover on this Monday night and with, what, 19 days before the first game day against a pretty, pretty decent Toledo team to say the least, a, a Toledo team that I believe... In today's AP poll, finished a little bit higher than you based on votes received. I want to say they're 36 and you're 38. Kansas around the same range, and then Penn State in the top 10. Yeah, it's going to be a tough opening three games. Now, what I wanted to focus on for this particular podcast were what I will call causes for concern and reasons for optimism. That's what we're going to title it, and that's what we're going really going to focus on because. A lot of what I've discussed so far is the rosier side of things, but I recognize, and I think we all sh- I think we all do, that this is by no means a national title contender. They are not probably going to be the favorite in the Big Ten West for understandable reasons, and that a lot of things will have to go right if this is going to be a great season. But I think a big reason why there's so much optimism around this is that, Not everything needs to go right for it to be a merely good season. And when you're an Illinois football fan, good is great. Good is often enough. And this early on in Brett Bielema's tenure, I'm still in that mindset. That being merely good and giving me reasons to be excited for each game day. That's step one. And a massive step for me as an Illini fan. So what we're going to focus on today is... I. I threw this question out there to the Twitterverse, and I'm going to try to get to as many of these responses as I can. Uh, Let me just see if I can try to sort this here. Um, I'll get that all figured out in a second. But before we get into the responses about concerns and reasons for optimism, what I wanted to start with, and this is definitely on the optimistic side, are the intangible things that both Brett Bielema and Josh Whitman are doing right, as the heads of not only Illinois football, but... Really, in the case of Whitman, the entire athletic program, and how this flagship sport, being football, which for many decades has not been the flagship for this athletic program in terms of success, now it has really sort of established itself as just that, as the bastion of what you uh, are looking towards. As representative of this entire thing, representative of the Josh Whitman, Illinois athletic department, and they crossed a big milestone this last week, 10,000 new season tickets. Now, that's not just arbitrary. That's a pretty big deal. And I think what it speaks to, despite finishing one and four in the last five games last year, was the overwhelming sense amongst hardcore and in this case, clearly some casual Illinois fans that this is a product worth investing in. I think the timing could not be better. When you look at all the realignment going on, I don't think Illinois would be in danger of getting relegated, to use the term that they use in the English Premier League. I don't think we would be relegated to a lesser conference. But in this day and age, you can't be too careful. You need to make yourself valuable. And at just the time where every school is going to be vying to prove themselves valuable to whatever big conference they're either in or trying to get in. I think it is absolutely essential that our football program has found its way out of the dregs. Imagine if this were the Tim Beckman-era Illinois football program and you see the sort of negotiating and bargaining that's going on between universities and conferences to say, hey, we're worthy. We're worthy of you guys, while conferences are saying, nah, you aren't. If I'm Northwestern, I worry about my place in the Big Ten. I don't want to hear about Chicago market crap. They don't draw, and they don't draw not just tickets in the stands, but TV viewership. They don't. At least not to the extent that the Big Ten would really consider that valuable. If you ever got into a position where you got to skim a little bit of the fat off the top, they would be the first in the chopping block. Let's be honest. Maybe Rutgers might be not long after that. I don't know how realistic any of this is, but I think it's interesting that just as you have really established yourself as an athletic department, but also, as I mentioned with Isaac in the last podcast, or Jeremy before that, how the entire leadership of the university is stable in a way that it's never been in my lifetime at this exact moment when the entire landscape of college sports is unstable and unpredictable. So that gives me a lot of confidence going forward that there is staying power here, that you have found your way out of whatever cellar or tier you were in for a long time, the Beckman and the Lovey Smith experience especially. I mean, that was a long nine years, essentially a decade. We'll throw the Cubit year in there as well. Try as he might, that was not a year that made Illinois seem that sexy of a program. So now you're kind of sexy again. You got all these primetime games, You got the big noon Saturday kickoff against Penn State, 10,000 new tickets sold, season tickets. I remember when they announced back in the spring that they were going to lower prices. And I thought that was a brilliant move at the time. And listen, I understand that right now you're probably thinking, if you've listened to me dating back to 93.5, the Mike Thomas era, <laughs> the John Gross, Tim Beckman era, Lovey Smith, The criticism that I have levied towards this athletic program over the years has sometimes been harsh, perhaps. So it might seem like, good God, Carpenter!" now you're just completely sucking up. But the thing is, as I've tried to really be reflective about this and be honest about it, they've given me reasons to trust in them, to invest in them, to invest my time and and resources into them, to decide that I want to go on a four-day trip to Tampa To see a team that, even though they've lost three of their last four regular season games, in my mind, was worthy of the trip. So these are all great steps that have been put into place to really establish Illinois as, and this is okay with me, this is no slight, a mid-level Big Ten team in football. And even with the new teams coming in, the Washingtons and Oregons next year as well as the UCLA and USC's, of course there's some pop especially behind the USC name, but I don't think that necessarily does much to affect where you're at. When you have a head coach like this, and then on top of that, an athletic director who is now, I believe, the third most tenured athletic director in the Big Ten, go figure, you're sitting in a pretty good spot, a spot that other Big Ten schools would probably prefer to be in if you're talking about the Northwesterns and the Purdue's and the Rutgers, et cetera. So what I wanted to focus on today, because I have been doing a whole lot of butt-kissing, if you will, if it sounds like that, I totally understand it. It might be a valid criticism of my you know, orange-colored glasses that I've been wearing for these first two weeks of the return of the 200 level. But today, we we're going to talk a little bit of that yin and yang, the good and the bad, the concerns and the reasons for optimism. And I don't think it's necessarily an equal measure. I think there are more reasons to be optimistic than to be pessimistic, certainly, or even skeptical that this team can sustain what they began last year. But there are some areas of concern, and we will address those. And with your help, I appreciate all the feedback we got today. It was great to see um, all the replies come in for this. So we will get started with that. If I happen to miss your tweet... That is my bad. I'm, I got them all sorted here. I will try to get through each and every one and not miss any. But before we get too far into it, I got to remind you that the 200 level, we got sponsors. And if you want to support us, here's what you do. You support our sponsors, DP Doe. Online at dpdough.com for all the best deals and prices, dpdough.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So go online to dpdough.com, order a custom calzone with any topping you would like, or one of their favorites like the Maui Waui or the Buffer Zone. Online at dpdo.com. Also, got to thank State Farm agent Brian Hansen Online at brianismyguy.com. For life, auto, home, business renter, uh, renters, you name it. Brian is our guy for homeowners and auto. Now, we just got something really cool from State Farm. We have an older home with some older wiring. And there's this app called Ting. You plug it in with a monitor and it just detects how the electrical current is going and if you have any issues gives us a lot of peace of mind and guess what through state farm it's free so go to brianismyguy.com check in with brian from uh brian Hansen, state farm agent from uh brianismyguy.com and they will get back to you like immediately they are so good about communication so that's brianismyguy.com dogtown heating air and plumbing now, as the summer temperatures rise, I know we're towards the end of summer, but next week looks scalding hot. Make sure that your energy bills stay low. So call Dogtown Heating Air and Plumbing to upgrade to a high-efficiency Lennox air conditioner. It's good stuff. Dogtown offers financing, including 0% no interest for qualifying customers. If you have rooms in your house that just don't seem to stay cool, I can relate. Or is pretty good, but we could use a new one in a year or two. Call and ask about the great rebates on the Diakin Ductless Mini Splits. Call Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing at 217-841-4728. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend. And our newest sponsor, Owen Builders, LLC, online at owenbuildersllc.com. Luke and his staff, excellent at what they do. There's a gallery on their website. These are home additions, porches, decks, Uh, This is exterior and some interior as well. We're talking kitchens and bathrooms. They are very diverse at what they can do for your home. Very competitive pricing. So go to OwenBuildersLLC.com. Get in contact with them to get a free quote today for your next home project. That is OwenBuildersLLC.com. Also, Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Appreciate them and appreciate you. So if you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I don't know if Spotify has that feature or not, but wherever you get your podcast, if there is a rating or review system in place, that helps us big time. And I know a lot of you have, and it helps us kind of move up that, move up the charts, as they say, which we've been doing thanks to you. So usually when people type in line I football or basketball, we're, we're right up there and that's thanks to you. All right. Uh, hello to the YouTube feed tonight. For those tuning in on a random Monday evening, I will say going forward that the schedule that I plan to keep through football season is Sunday, sort of an immediate reaction, like late Sunday mornings before the NFL games kick off, right? A midweek podcast, and God knows if things are going good, I'll pop down here probably twice in the middle of the week and want to talk about Illinois football. I think that we will have some moments like that this year where the excitement is really high. I hope we do at least. But that's why we really wanted to focus on the, the both, the good and the bad, not the ugly. I don't think there's was going to be much ugly this year. That's not really how Bealumus teams play. You know, somehow they can make a nine to six win against Iowa seem beautiful. That did not feel ugly, did it? I don't know. Maybe the win itself covered up a lot of the ugliness of that game. But Jared is mentioning here in the chat that, uh, chat thread. I was talking about the season tickets, and he says, as a student who bought football tickets simply to get an advantage for basketball tickets, I just hope we get some good home wins. I'm excited. You know, Jared, we did have two of those in a row last year, and then two disappointments in November. The Iowa-Minnesota stretch at home were two of the best back-to-back games that I can remember at Memorial Stadium. And I'd have to go back to 2007, the Penn State-Wisconsin games, And I think that the buzz was more palatable then because Ron Zook and his recruiting and the star power on that team probably helped as well. And the rankings, Penn State top 20, Wisconsin number five. That was a big deal. You have a major opportunity, of course, in week three. And before we get started, Jared, I think we'll talk plenty about the schedule in the next couple weeks, next two to three weeks. But the goal is starting 2-0, not just... Because you don't want to lose to Toledo or Kansas. Neither of those, here's the funny thing, neither of those would technically be a bad loss. Of course, losing to Toledo would be such a buzzkill after the hype that's built this offseason. I'd be bummed, and I'd be worried going into Kansas. I think they could still recover and beat Kansas. But the goal, somehow, someway, any way, shape, or form is 2-1 and one in the first three games. That would be a great start to the season. 3-0, and oh, we're off and running. If you start 2-0, that Penn State game, that, Jared, is the kind of signature home win that goes above what you did with Iowa and Minnesota last year. Neither of those teams, if I recall, were ranked. Certainly not Iowa, whose offense stunk. M- Minnesota might have been getting votes, but you were getting votes at that time, too. So, hope beyond hope, Jared. 2-0 start really set up a massive big noon Saturday kickoff on Fox. All right. The question I asked today, one sec periodically we'll be taking sips after uh first day with the kids back at school. Great kids, but man, it's a different energy. C Vance reply to this. Okay. Concern, optimism. Number one, cause for concern. C Vance says mainly depth on the D line and secondary one to two injuries from that being tested. Already have one with Bailey out at least for now. Also QB lack of experience. Let's start with that. Uh, Totally agree on the depth on the D-line. We know how good the studs are. We know how good Newton and Randolph are. But if you lose one of them, then all of a sudden the strength of your defense that you think can help you overcome inexperience experience in the secondary, that becomes a merely good unit. Now, I think you are helped out by—and and I don't know, C. Vance, if you're necessarily including the outside backers. I know they aren't technically D-linemen, but in many ways they play as vital of a role in the pass rush. So for me, the likes of a Gay Ackes and a Seth Coleman on the outside help you bolster that front five, let's call it. And then you have a Treat Barnes in the middle, which just provides a lot of veteran leadership. And you feel as was a pretty sure-handed linebacker. But agree on the depth. And you mentioned the secondary. Now, the secondary, I don't think you were referring to the depth. Maybe you were. I'm not worried about the depth of the secondary so much as the experience. And it will be tested, as you mentioned, with Matthew Bailey. He was a major player on last year's team. If I recall, he was really good in the bowl game, too. Forget if he got an interception or not, but he was very good. So all that said, they brought in plenty of talent. And if I'm to try to find something to ease my mind, I'm going to hang my hat a bit on the bowl game against Mississippi State. Mississippi State, a good offense, of course, a Mike Leach offense, and you held them in check with a relatively untested secondary. Now, Quan Martin played in that game. So did Kendall Smith. Sidney Brown and, duh, Devin Witherspoon, top five pick. And I believe Taz was still hurt or did not play. But you can correct me if I'm wrong in the in the thread, and please do. So you have a Tyler Strains out there, the Xavier Scotts. You got all these guys in the offseason to bolster a unit that lost some heavy hitters now the concern of course is that that inexperience against good quarterbacks like you're going to face in the two weeks that you start the season well first three to be honest that that could lead to some broken coverage when you play a single drop safety like that a free safety that's just kind of roaming back there do you trust Taz on one side Tyler Strain on the other which I think you could I think you could or whoever else you put to the other side of the cornerback? Do you trust your nickelback? Do you trust them to be that first line of defense so that whatever the wide receiver may do, they don't get deep? This is where that complementary football, we usually think of it in terms of the offensive unit and the defensive unit. And then, I guess, the special teams fits in there, which we'll get to. (laughs) But I really hope that offsets it. I really hope that this defensive line against a Mac offensive line can cause havoc. And if they do then I think we can be okay in that game. We'll see with Kansas. Uh, but I, I agree with you. And, and how can you not, C. Vance? Yes, the depth on the D-line, if you lose one of those two guys, that's a problem. And then the secondary inexperience. Optimism, though. C. Vance says, Bielema, this team is doing the little things right, win the close games, and this could be a special year. To me, in the first podcast back, I mentioned how the intangible factor of this year, that of, oh, we were close, but not good enough last year. I feel it as a fan, but I know they feel it much more over the Smith Performance Center. They know they left wins on the table and that their biggest bugaboo last year was not closing close games. Iowa was a rare exception. Wisconsin, the game was in hand. Minnesota, the game was in hand. Purdue, Michigan State, when you could have made that play to flip it in a late game situation, you just didn't. Michigan, you left a win on the table. So, I, I hope, like you do, C. Vance, and maybe it's not hope, it's so much as, I think, genuine reason to think that they they will respond in a positive way is Bielma. And the fact that he can frame this in a positive way and not have to rely too much on cliches and us-against-the-world mentality like the dopes up in Northwestern, for that's a whole other story. I, I may or may not broach that today, but Bielma is certainly reason for optimism. From Peter Elliott, concern. Potential injury to one of our four best linemen, so he agrees with C. Vance. Now, he also mentions, however, Isaiah Adams and Julian Pearl. And of course, that is worthy of being mentioned. The left side of your offensive line is great. You feel great about it. Center, we will see. I will go with the bloodline of a Josh Krutz and say, well, he might be undersized, but they keep raving about how smart he is, and I know they wanted the guy that ended up going to Auburn, whose name escapes me. They didn't get him they didn't pay him enough whatever it may be so I feel great about the left side of the line I like that that is the blind side for Luke Altmaier and that if you can keep him upright I think he stays healthy this year if you lose one of them though that strength of the offensive line goes away so that's a very good point optimism from Peter Elliott dominant pass rush and that right there yeah if I think about Peter some of my favorite teams or the Illinois Bears teams there tend to be two common denominators in uh, how those defenses made those teams as good as they were. So let's go with the Bears, for example. It was the dominant pass rush back in Matt Nagy's first year and Vic Fangio as the defensive coordinator. It was that pass rush that probably should have taken that team to a Super Bowl if not for the double doink. If I look at Illinois teams in the past, and the 07 team, we could talk about how good the linebackers were, and certainly Jay Lehman was a stud in the middle, along with Britt Miller on the outside, and he had some good secondary guys, of course, in Avante Davis, a DeRay Hicks, two senior safeties, that was big, great secondary. But that D-line got some pressure. Now, 0-1, I could go back to that one team, I think uh, Terrell Washington was on that defensive line, maybe not d- dominant defensive line, You go back to 94, you had great linebackers, but they could get to the quarterback. All that is to say that if you can get to the quarterback, dominant pass rush, as you said, that really masks a lot of weaknesses. Now, offenses, offenses can combat that by trying to do quick little hitters. But I do think that this defense, they can hold up against that. As I mentioned before, my concern would be if they have too much time to throw it and you only got that free safety just kind of camp back there, that inexperience may lead to a, a broken play or two when you can least accept it. So good stuff there from Peter. All right, from James. Oh, wait, no, sorry, from Banana Champagne. Love the name. Concerns, many of the wins last year were super close and could have easily gone the other way. I'm hoping it wasn't a fluke with DeVito and the Brown brothers. I'm gonna push back on that slightly banana champagne. Let's go through the wins. Real quick, Wyoming blowout, Virginia blowout, Chattanooga blowout, Wisconsin blowout, that's four. Iowa close. Scary, right? Minnesota, you won by twelves, so that's six. Nebraska, you won convincingly, that's seven. And then the Northwestern game, you smoked them eight. So really I've mentioned this before that this team was closer to ten and two. Than they were six and six. And I, I firmly believe that. So I, I actually your concern there, Banana Champagne, as I reflect on last year. Oh, we can throw the close losses though in there, right? Um, if you were if you were to say many of the losses were super close, uh, and that end-of-game execution was a concern, I would agree with that. Mississippi State, Michigan, Purdue, um, Michigan State, Indiana, BARF. There are your five. All late-game execution that really hurt you. So I think if you kind of flip that argument around banana champagne, totally agree that late-game execution, that would be a concern of mine and still is because you don't have a running back at the moment that you feel is a go-to. You know you have good pieces the wide receiver uh, position group, but other than Isaiah Williams... Who's the go-to guy when you really need that first down late? I think Casey Washington can be a good safety valve. I think that Pat Bryan can be a game-breaker. And maybe Malik Elsie, who they're talking a lot about in camp. They like him. Not surprising, I guess, but it's good to hear his name mentioned as much as it has been. So, who's going to make those plays? And will the defense, unlike those five losses last year? The defense was so good, and I wonder... How much of it was fatigue at end of games because the offense wasn't holding up their end? That could be a concern this year as well. But if I were to flip that banana champagne and say late-game execution, I would agree that is a concern, and I hope that this offseason was greatly focused on that. One sec. 25 minutes in, you need take a sip. Ah, there we go. Optimism, though. Banana Champagne says, Belama seems like a CEO, and the players seem to be buying in. Compared to many other teams, Alani stock is rising completely agree banana champagne. I hope you tweet at us a lot. I just like saying your name. The CEO comparison you make I think is apt. And the way that he delegates to his staff, the way he surrounds himself with really smart people that have a good pedigree, yeah, that that is all reason for optimism and not just this year but beyond, where this year they could go 7 and 5, but it wouldn't necessarily feel like a step back. We'd have to see it, of course. I'm I'm not going to say that 7 and 5 would necessarily feel great depending on how that shakes out, but I do think that there are more paths to feeling still very confident in this program going forward at the end of the year than I feel that there are scenarios where you would start questioning something. And I say that as an Illinois fan fully aware of the many disappointing follow-up seasons that we've experienced, which have been many. We got a few here in the YouTube chat window. So from John, we were short Sydney, Spoon, and Taz in the bowl game. So think about that. Pass happy offense. I think there might have been a wide receiver out for Mississippi State. I know a running back was out too, but for the most part, they were intact. Quarterback was – their starting quarterback was playing. Not like an all-world quarterback, but good enough. And you held them in check. Now, this is from John as well. I think we're really counting on the big boys to bully Toledo and Kansas in the trenches in the first two games. We could. Here's the, here's the other thing, too, and I'm sure that as I go through more of these responses, the offensive line was alarming to me in that Mississippi State game. I don't know why they were so ineffective. I'm going to chalk it up to a bad day or, or maybe, as simplistic as it sounds, the Mississippi State's D-line is just an SEC D-line, and even a run-of-the-mill SEC D-line is really good. Certainly, right, better than Kansas or Toledo. If that's the case, and you can win the battles in the trenches, they might have stud quarterbacks. I know Toledo's bringing a lot back on a pretty good defense, Mac or not. Yeah, there are concerns, and they are really solid teams that you're playing. But if we are to boil football down to its bare essentials, which I know Bielema and his identity sort of does that, if you focus on the trenches, you should still feel good going into those first two games. So, John, thanks for that. From It's Rogo. Hello, Rogo. Optimism, 90-plus in the country in red zone scoring worse than even Iowa. Uh, Got to score points to win consistently. You know, that, that cause for concern, and if I'm reading this right, It's Rogo, it's almost like it was so bad last year it can't be worse. It can't be. When I was talking to Lunny the first podcast back, I asked him how much having a guy like Chase Brown impacts play calling. And the comparison I made was having Eddie Van Halen in your band. He's going to take a solo in every song. He's Eddie Van Halen. How can you not give him a solo? How can you not give Chase Brown the ball in crucial moments? For an offense that was lacking other weapons, right? And I wonder if not having that crutch, I mean, it's, it's a very psychological thing, I'm sure, for any offensive coordinator, and knowing that Bielema tends to play things a little safer than other coaches. But I think we've seen a trend. From year one to year two, and then hopefully into year three. Bielema has shown more of a propensity to go for fourth downs, to take some chances. And now that you don't have that crutch of Chase Brown in the red zone, I think it may open things up. Now, what Chase Brown was amazing at was between the 20s. And don't forget all the drives that he kept alive or sustained or the time of possession, crazy discrepancies you had against like a Minnesota. 40 to 20. Why? Because Chase Brown was special. And he is. So you can't just replace that, but the way offense is in college football, I would like to think that you can find your way to it, and I I hope Lenny can. All right, got a couple more here. Uh, Well, actually more than a couple. Let me just get back to the Twitter question right here. Okay. This is from Brad. TCR, Brad, used to work at the Champagne Room. Hey, Brad. Number one, the history of this program. So this, I'm guessing, is concerned. The history of this program and the multiple times we've come into a season with hearty expectations on the coattails of an A plus one season only to fall flat and completely miss a bowl game. Well, it's worth mentioning. I have tried, Brad, and I, I did this last year for the Michigan State and Purdue games. I should have known my, the Illinois fatalist in me would say, I should have known. I should have known better. I've seen this before. I definitely felt duped after the Purdue game. I felt like, well, how could I not have seen this coming? But I try to very consciously fight that because it it doesn't have any bearing on the now. What happened in the past when these kids were young doesn't have any bearing on the now. But it has an impact on the fan base. I do wonder, you know, those two home games, the... Crazy confidence bubbling through that place in the Michigan State game. It probably trickled down in the field. How could it not? They felt like they were going to smoke Michigan State. I felt like they were going to smoke Michigan State. We all did. They didn't. Michigan State kind of punked you a little bit. Purdue, it didn't feel right from the start. All of a sudden, we, we were puckered up as a fan base. It's amazing the sort of vibe that can permeate a stadium. And boy, did it ever against Purdue where it just got ugly. And everyone felt like, oh, we're going to lose. And that that day sucked. It sucked in every which way. The weather, all of that just sucked. And Brad, it, I think it's fine to mention it. It would be kind of, uh, I don't know. It would be ignoring a big part of Alani fandom if we didn't mention that fatalistic thing that is with us because of all these disappointing follow-ups. However, Brad says for optimism, Brett Bielema. Simply, Brett Bielema. He's not the only one to say that. That's the second one that I've read, and there's more. From Herb Lawrence. Good to hear from Herb. Number one, defense lost a lot of off of a dominant group. Walters, Witherspoon, Martin Brown mentions Walters, which I think is important. How will they do with the new starters? So, um, listen, to Herb's point, the defense is not going to be as good, and I think we all know that. They aren't going to be the number one scoring defense. That's a once-in-a-lifetime thing for Illinois football. Pretty incredible, right? I still think they can be a top 30 scoring defense. I think they can be a top five in the Big Ten defense based on that defensive line, based on your front six or seven, whatever you want to call it, you feel really good about that, and hoping that there's enough in the Beelama defensive mojo, you know, pixie dust to trickle down to Aaron Henry and the staff, which is by no means a green staff. Plenty of experience, I mean, Charlie Bullen, the offensive linebackers coach, comes from the NFL. Uh, You know, your defensive line coach, Jameson, still here. You have the secondary still being coached by Aaron Henry, and then Finellis, the new guy helping out with that as well. And then, by the way, Sunday through Thursday, you have Jim Leonard helping out. So the defensive staff is still very good. And I think what we'll find out, Herb, and maybe even relatively quickly, is just how special was Ryan Walters. Ryan Walters is going to have a long, successful career. I hope it isn't necessarily at Purdue. (laughs) I mean, uh, I wish him well to a degree, but just not while he's there. I do wonder how much of Walter's success is due to an overall successful system that was already kind of put in place. Now, what Ryan Walters does very well, and I know Jeremy pointed this out when he visited with us a week and a half ago, what he does very well is call plays. I thought that Aaron Henry did a great job of that in the bowl game. I thought the the play calling and the overall strategy behind what they were going to do to keep Mississippi State out of the end zone, that worked. They weren't able to get takeaways to the degree that you wanted to or really big defensive plays, but I thought that overall the performance from the defense was impressive. So I'm going to hang my hat on that, Herb, and, and, and try to understand myself that the defense won't look as dominant. It, it just won't. They had a run there last year where it was pretty incredible. But I still think that they can find their way to um, being a very good defense. And I think that that's enough to win the seven or eight games that would make us feel like it's a successful season. Optimism. Herb says, Brett Bielema is a program builder. I have no doubt that he'll get the team ready to play really good football. There you go. Brett Bielema. That's a recurring theme here from Dave. Secondary and passing offense still a concern. We mentioned the secondary, so I want to focus on Dave's second point. Passing offense, Luke Altmaier. Won't be the first time we mention him. What I'm going to hang my hat on is, of course, he's not going to be as accurate as Tommy DeVito, and I love Tommy. Who didn't? How could you not love Tommy DeVito? Guy's a legend. But while he was an incredibly efficient passer, you were missing the deep threat. I mean, I feel like I could count on one hands the – 30-plus-yard passes. And I'm pretty sure there's a stat out there. Can't find it for you at the moment, but pretty sure I read a stat in the last month that said we were really far down in terms of explosive plays. Now, that speaks to, I I think, and this is why I'm going to kind of bundle this, Dave, passing offense and Barry Lunny as a whole into a positive thing. I'm going to give you some positive spin here. Lunny has shown the ability to sustain drives despite not having the explosive play. I would think that explosive plays have less to do with play calling and more to do with the Jimmy's and Joe's, as Ron Zuck often called them. Not the X's and O's, but the Jimmy's and Joe's. So if you can somehow mix that, and that would come in the form of a Patrick, uh, Pat, not Patrick, Pat Bryant or an Isaiah Williams, the more you utilize him, which I think that Isaiah, you started to see him stretch the field, especially in that bowl game, Isaiah was great. And then a Malik Elsey, I know that's a freshman, you can't count on that, but just him or a Wilcher that can just give you some speed. I mean, remember a couple years ago, who was the quarterback? And you're going to have to help me YouTube feed. The former quarterback that became a deep threat had a deep passing or receiving touchdown against Nebraska, had a few, he ended up transferring out. The name will pop up and you might be yelling it at your car speaker right now. But just someone to stretch the field or a couple. Because you got some sure-handed guys. So I, I would like to think, Dave, that that can help you out. Luke Altmaier, I, we haven't seen him. So, of course, I can't sit here and say that I'm confident in him. But I feel like we would have heard murmurs that, oh boy, it's it's not going well. And instead, you're having guys like Isaiah Williams praise the throwing ability. And the deep ball throwing ability of a Luke Altmaier, so very valid, Dave. I'm that was me trying to talk my way out of it. But if we were to make a top five list, yes, passing offense has to be on it. Secondary inexperience, passing offense is not far behind. All right, optimism, D line, and running game. I'm optimistic on. I gotta be honest, Dave. I I am more concerned about the running game than the passing game. I like Reggie Love. I like Josh McCray when he's healthy, but I can't count on that. Reggie Love showed me a little bit in the last couple games of the year, even though I didn't feel the line was giving him a lot. And I don't think Chase Brown, we saw in the Northwestern game, Chase Brown was ineffective. I'm sure that fatigue played a part of that. I don't know how effective Chase Brown would have been in the bowl game. There just weren't many holes for anybody to go through. So I actually, now that I think about it, in YouTube feed, you can tell me if I'm crazy. I'm actually a little more concerned about the running game than the passing game. Now the argument against that would be that Bielma's track record suggests they will always run the ball somewhat effectively. But yards per carry last year were not great. But they just carried it so much and consistently decently enough. And then of course Chase Brown was wiggly and hard to bring down and found the holes better than a lot of guys in the country. But I am concerned now that I think about it. If I And being honest, running game I'm more concerned about than passing. Might seem like blasphemy when you're talking about a Brett Bielema team. All right. From Michael. Now, real quick, I got something in the YouTube feed here. This is from Stephen Colbert. Any long-suffering fan base has that tendency where even when we expect things to go well, the minute something goes wrong that we don't expect, we revert to that pessimism, which is weird considering how this team has come under how far this team has come under bert bert <laughs> but it's hard to banish a decade of bad football in a few years and honestly steven that's why i felt two years ago was a sort of exercising of the demons when you went 5 and 7 and those early games against maryland and Purdue, that felt like you were just getting rid of the toxicity that had built up I, detoxification of Illinois football. And last year, you got damn close to really detoxifying it, but at the end of the year, it just kinda crept back in. Just enough to maybe make people leery, though I'm happy that people seem to be able to look at that finish with enough nuance to see that that wasn't a collapse so much as a missed opportunity. And we know what a collapse is. We know what that is. Five and seven in 08 or three and nine in 2009, that's a collapse. In 2002, starting one and four, After the Sugar Bowl, that's a collapse. We've seen those. Last year, the end of it did not feel like that. In a way, the Michigan game, despite not winning, it sucked. You would have loved to get the win, but it reminded you, oh, wait, we actually have a coaching staff that knows what the hell they're doing. I mean, they out Michigan that day. And it's like, damn, can we just play you guys again in a few years? And we'll get the opportunity as long as we get to keep that game on the schedule. I really hope we do. Um, but yes, and then Chief Osky mentions the name I was searching for, Deuce Span. That's the name. All right, I got a few more here from Michael. Has to be the QB. This is a concern. We have little idea what they have a QB or what Illinois has. If this team can't throw the ball, they're going to have some big problem scoring points. Very true. And number two, for optimism. That front six or seven, depending on what set they're in, is going to cause problems for opposing offenses. And, and you know, Michael, we talk about so much Newton Randolph and how good they are, for good reason. But boy, oh boy, Seth Coleman and Gabe Ackes on the outside—that's pretty nasty. We'll see what they do with D tackle. I—I um, I, I think they feel okay about it. And honestly, you just need a—you just need a stopgap. I mean, Calvin Avery was was fine, pretty good actually, pretty good in the first half of last year. And then it's not like D tackle is a position that you notice all that much anyway. In this particular defense you're asking them to really just kind of take up as much space as they can but I I think the front six or seven you're right on I mean you feel great about it and really I mean Taz Nicholson you feel great about him I think you feel fine on the other end with a Tyler Strain right I think you feel fine when Matthew Bailey's in there but we don't know when he will be and then you start getting the Nicario Harpers and the Demetrius Uh, you see here's the thing This is why Jeremy and Joey are so good at breaking down position groups. There are so many different secondary. Xavier Scott is another name that's really been um, bouncing around through camp. I, I don't know what that starting secondary is going to be like in the first game, but I take a little bit of solace in the fact that they knew that they would have to kind of mix and match, and they went out and got enough bodies to do it. So it is definitely a concern, and at the same time, I'm optimistic that they can still be good. And that's really all they have to be with the with a front six or seven like that. They, they don't need to be dominant like last year to be effective. All right, Dan says, concern, QB, obviously, DL depth behind Newton Randolph. Everything on the D is predicated on their success. That is true. Optimism, despite decades of frustration, we finally have a head coach and staff that is competitive with the top of the conference that supersedes any particular position issues. And Dan, I think this is important. If you were to go back and look at different Wisconsin teams that Bielema had success with, it's not as if every position group was dominant. Wisconsin wasn't built on that. They were built on this steady brand of football, and it drove you nuts because you thought, well, they're fine. How are they finding their way to 9-10 wins every year? That consistency is something that got them there. And any program is going to go through years where certain position groups lost a lot, and they have to replace a lot more than other position groups. But you know you have a healthy program when it is more about filling the holes through strategic recruiting and, and really identifying talent. Now you can do that more so than ever with the transfer portal. And I, I agree that that really does supersede any particular position issues when you know that the coaching staff is that adept at what they do. From Kurt. Concern has to be DBs, especially since it's been our strongest unit the past few seasons. Too many unknowns, but also reason to believe with Henry at D.C. and Leonard assisting. Also, a tough non-conference schedule worries me. It is tough. Florida Atlantic is not terrible. It's not Florida A&M. This is a team that will have the ability to score. You should win, and you should win comfortably if you're good like you think you are. But if that's the slouch, that's a tough non-conference for a team that would probably like to just go 3-0 and in the non-conference and move on. Now, if I were to spin the tough non-conference, Kurt, into a positive direction. I think you'll be game ready for Penn State. I think you'll be game ready for the Big Ten. For the Big Ten schedule you have, I should say. Because the nine games that you have there. Hell, the toughest one is the first one. The toughest game in the entire Big Ten schedule for the Illinois team is the first one. And everything in the middle there. And at the end... I don't know. I mean, you could go win those games. Now, the concern is uh, how many gimmies are there. I can't call Toledo a gimme. I can't call Kansas a gimme, for sure. It's on the road. I think I can call Florida Atlantic and Indiana at home and Northwestern at home. I think I can call those gimmies. But then things get a little bit murky there from that. So, uh, totally fair, though, that it is a tough non-con schedule. Optimism from Kurt? Easily having a top 3D line in the country. That's not hyperbole. It's not. And that's pretty cool. Jared says, number one, concern is quarterback. I'm cautiously optimistic about Altmaier, but until he proves it on the field, quarterback will always be the biggest concern. You know, it's funny, Jared, because I remember last year, DeVito certainly had more experience, but I don't know what my expectations were for him other than just be better than Brandon Peters. And I figured he would be, and he certainly was. And when it comes to Luke Altmaier, if you ask me, what are your expectations for him? I expect him to be good. I do. I I think that as what I think would be a third-year sophomore with three years of eligibility, because the COVID year maybe, or just having redshirted, I'm pretty sure, that he's going to be good. And that you have a staff that's going to put him in a position to succeed. I am very optimistic, as I mentioned earlier, that the words that are coming from these wide receivers about Luke Altmaier lead me to believe that this isn't a concern for those guys over there. And that a Donovan Leary is taking a big step and a a Paddock is a wily veteran. So yes, quarterback, you would love to have a stud in there. That would really change the entire calculation of the season. It's the most important position on the field. That's why Toledo could beat us. It's why Kansas could beat us. If neither of those teams had a great quarterback... I'd say they aren't beating us, but they do. Game-changing game quarterbacks, for sure. I don't know if Luke Altmaier is a game-changer, but I don't think he's going to be asked to be a game-changer. So um, a concern, because the unknown, for sure, Jared, and I agree with that. And totally on the field. Number two, defensive line, the front five, best deal in the Big Ten. Multiple returning all Big Ten players. Freshman All-American in the secondary will help. Uh, this is from Tech McHugh. What a great name, Tech McHugh. Tech, give me a second. I need to get a quick... Sip of this drink here. Here we go. I know it's compelling podcasting. Number one, for concern, we drew yet another tough out-of-conference slate with both Toledo and Kansas Prime to be contenders in their conferences. But number two is that we got a lighter schedule draw in conference play. That is true. From Garrett, is, this is his number one concern. Would feel much better with Bailey available, especially with a Friday night match but KU looming week two. I think the group can ultimately be a strength but have some early season concerns. Number two, strengthen the trenches coupled with competence of coaching staff. Number two, there you go. Trenches, coaching staff. If Brett Bielema has that, we're going to be good. I don't know about great. I mean, to be great and compete for conference titles, you do need some game-breaking, guys. You do. But, Garrett, I totally agree that the strength in the trenches, the coaching staff... If you can hang your hat on that, you feel as if the the floor is much higher. All right, from Lars Newt Bar Enjoyer, number one, hard schedule, uncertainty quarterback, secondary, punter, right side of the O-line. Let's talk about punter. Sounds like Caleb Griffin will be the punter, not Hugh Robertson. Now, this can be one of two things, or maybe both. One, Caleb Griffin turns out to be a really good punter. They said, you're promoted. Number two, Hugh Robertson was really bad in camp. Third option, both are true. I don't know how ideal that is. The ideal would have been Hugh Robertson figuring it out. But if they're really going to pass the baton over to Caleb Griffin, I think it's equal parts desperation, but also, whoa, this guy, this guy has a leg. And we do know that Caleb Griffin has a leg. Really good on kickoffs. And punting, we shall see. But if that means that his longest punt is five yards shorter than Hugh Robertson, but he can just do it more consistently, go with it. All you're really asking of the punter, no muffed punts. Don't do that. Or uh, any off the side of your foot. Sorry, muffed punt would be for the returner. No punts off the side of your foot that go eight yards. You can't have that. I think Caleb Griffin, being the older football player that's been in college football as long as he has, can do that. And that's all you're asking. Maybe he's great, we shall see. Maybe the offense is so good, you hardly ever have to punt. I doubt it, though. There are going to be games where that matters, and I agree, Lars, that punter is a concern. And now, with kicker, will it be Griffin or will it be Iwano? And that's the next question. Will Griffin do all of it, or will this freshman kicker get in there? And if they do put Alano in instead of Caleb Griffin, you got to think, well, damn, Ilano must be really good. Because Caleb Griffin was pretty good that second half of the season. Not one of the best. Not a Neil Rackers, but he was fine. So if they make that move to Olano, I actually take a lot of, uh, I feel pretty excited about that. All right, number one from Ben. Concern, you no longer have Chase Brown or Tommy DeVito, but number two, Brett Bielema. There was that chorus, Brett Bielema. Seems like we're all in agreement on that. Dad Life Dion says, huge concern, DBRB. So defensive backs and running backs. I know defensive back could be greater with this D line and linebacker pressure, but I have my worries. That's fair. Running back. I'm shocked that we didn't make a transfer or take a transfer running back. This must mean love is good. Uh, Maybe McCray as well. Or are they going to let Fegan play? I doubt dad life Dion that they're going to let Fegan play. I'm excited for his future. I got to think that Lawfrey or Anderson would be someone that gets some carries Let's be real. It all comes down to McCray. Love is good at what he does. He was a serviceable backup. I thought he got better as the year went on. The coaching staff trust him. I don't know how much of a game breaker he is, but he did show you in the Northwestern game that he's got some ability. So I like Love as maybe more of a scat back. If McCray can be healthy, and apparently he's healthy now. I mean, the only injury that they have mentioned is Matthew Bailey, but they say everyone's ready to go. That makes me feel good, because last year, I forget if we felt like McRae was healthy going into the season or not. I feel like there was maybe something that came out beforehand that indicated that he wasn't 100%. I mean, he only got a few carries against Wyoming. From Josh, QB, concern. A sophomore is just that. Optimism? You know the D is going to be terrible with that front seven. Yeah, the D is definitely not going to be terrible. I think the question, really, Joshua, is can they be great? Or are they going to be just merely very good? And if they happen to find their way to greatness again, that's going to be because some secondary pieces end up working out even better than we thought. That's possible. I mean, Kirby Joseph wasn't even in the too deep two years ago. So as he enters his third NFL season with the Lions, that makes you think, oh, right. Like that they're actually or second season, a really good rookie for Kirby Joseph. It could happen. It's not as if they have a lack of talent. I think we aren't concerned about the talent in the secondary. They clearly have that. It's just the experience. So, hey, if you can coach them up, then you might end up with another special secondary even without a Devin Witherspoon or a Quan Martin. Keep in mind, Quan Martin wasn't good until he was good. The first couple years were really rough for him. Now... That was Lovey partially. That was partially youth and inexperience. And that would be an argument that the inexperience of the secondary is the big bugaboo. I would go with that and and totally agree. But I think you can mix and match your way to it. I I would love to be a fly on the wall in those meetings between Aaron Henry and Finellis and Brett Bielema as they determine what is our starting five in the defensive backfield. All right, from Elena. Defensive backfield with Bailey looking like he's not going to be healthy for the opener. And Elena, to take that even a step further, or is it Alana? I hope I'm getting that right. If it's a foot injury, who knows how nagging it's going to be. I'm not counting on Bailey until I see him. Two, defensive front seven. Can't wait to see Akis, Randolph, Newton wrecking O-lines this fall. From Jerry, this is an interesting response. Concern, number one, quarterback. Reason for optimism, number two, quarterback. And actually, Jerry, you get to something there. I feel better about the quarterback position, just like Bielma said, than I have in a long time. And that's even not having seen these guys. But it just feels like a D1, power five, quarterback room. We haven't had that in a while. You got a transfer from Ole Miss that played a few games for him. You have your own homegrown guy in Donovan Leary that's got a good bloodline, clearly, and is really impressing in camp. And you got a good transfer quarterback that could be used in emergency situations. I think that's pretty good. From Stacy, just the unknown of the QBs, though I I have faith. And then number two, the winning culture stemming from Bette Bielema, coaching staff, and players. From Alani Frank, QB is the number one concern, but number two, reason for optimism, the coaches, and the D-line. I think we got one more here. Also from KCS, number one, concern, quarterback, number two, offensive and defensive line. Okay, so we have some patterns here. And I appreciate all the responses because I'm – I think we all have a pretty good handle on what this team is going into it. And that is to say that there are questions, certainly. The good news is that the questions aren't so much, will either of these units be terrible? I don't think we believe that for quarterback or defensive back. I think what we're really wondering is, how do you go from a very reliable, efficient quarterback like Tommy DeVito, which he was, and a 1,600-yard rusher in Chase Brown? How do you find your way to a better offense despite losing those two. And that's where the math gets a little weird. And you have to remind yourself the football is an 11-guy-on-each-side kind of game where there are a variety of factors that impact that. So if you were to ask me, you know, gun to the head, I know it's a terrible analogy or hypothetical, but if you did that gun to the head question and said, will the offense be better this year? I'm going to say yes. I think the benefits of returning guys on the offensive line a better wide receiver room, an improved quarterback room. Even if your starter may not be thrown seventy percent in games, like Tommy DeVito, year two of the coordinator, though I, I go back to that, and I really do feel like Loney is a solid play caller that was hamstrung by a lack of playmakers last year. Outside of Chase Brown and Isaiah Williams, I just feel like the defense or the offense, excuse me, will, excuse me, will be better. And here is the thing: they only need to be fine. They were 91st in scoring offense last year. Somehow you work your way up to 70, or in the 60s, now you're feeling really good. And what that means is then the defense doesn't need to be a number one scoring defense. They can be a top 30 defense, and you will be pretty darn good. I think that is totally reasonable, and kind of what I'm anticipating, I guess, going into this season. If that happens, if that comes to fruition then you are looking at a seven or eight win team tough out of conference for sure easier big 10 slate some favorable home matchups yeah i think and trust that they will find their way to seven or eight wins and the good news is that there is this universe where all these things could go right and everything works out beautifully and the secondary replaces those guys with new playmakers and Altmeyer can just sling the ball, and, and the deep threat really changes the game for the offense, just keeps the defense honest. And you find your way to nine wins. Maybe you find your way to Indy. So I think we're in a good spot, meaning we don't have that pie in the sky, oh, we got to go to the Rose Bowl again, like 2008. Now, not that I needed that in 2008, but I think the expectations were we have stars, Juice, Aurelius, Ben. In the offense. And we got enough returning on the defense though. I don't want to oversell that. I mean they did lose some key players. But listen Ronzook had a lot of talent. We thought reload. Not rebuild. Reload. And we thought really good bowl. This year it is the truth. If you give me the Music City Bowl. I'm very happy. And I think that's right there for you. That's not at all out of the realm of possibility. In this Big Ten West. Which is completely wide open. So. Thank you guys for the replies. I really appreciate all the feedback. If I did not get to yours, I really do apologize. I had them all up here. Though Twitter can be weird, or X, or whatever the hell Elon Musk wants to call it. Now, before we get out of here, got to thank DP Doe. I'm on at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices, dpdoe.com. Also, Owen Builders LLC, our newest sponsor for all your home additions. This could be interior or exterior. That's Luke Owen and his staff at owenbuildersllc.com. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Dog days of summer are not over yet, so why not get a new high-efficiency Lennox air conditioner? Next week is going to be super hot. We're talking like high 90s, I think, at a point next week. Give them a call at 217-841-4728. Dogtown Heatinger and Plumbing, your home's best friend. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen. Online at brianismyguy.com. Life auto, home, business renters, you name it. Brian is my guy, and he can be your guy as well at brianismyguy.com. Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Appreciate them. A couple more of the YouTube feed. This is from Steven. It mentions how, if you look at recruiting, we're in a better place than the end of the Levy era. It's a very good feeling to know that the coaching staff knows what it's doing. Oh, this is interesting from its Rogo. Let's end on this. So, the defensive line that we talk so much about. 83rd in the country in sacks per game last year. Tons of room for improvement. Well, I think you got the coaching staff and the returning guys to do it, and it's Rogo, I... I think the second most important position group, outside linebackers. Yes, Jared, thank you for reminding me. You guys are going to keep me honest. Thoughts on the basketball Spain trip? Okay. Um, last year, the way it ended, for you 200-level listeners, you know I was a little bit perturbed with Underwood and the direction of this program. And in some ways, I, I am long-term. This team will be good. I, I, I think that's pretty clear. They're going to be good. I think they will be better than last year, and certainly they will make you pull your hair out less because there's not the Matthew Myers or the Sky Clarks or the Jaden Epps. I think chemistry will be better. I think that a trip like that, we only see the pictures, of course. They had a couple of the streams. They play hard. They play with a fire under their butts. It's probably the closest thing to Underwood Ball that he's had. If you think about it, I mean, Kofi kind of changed the way that his team's played. This is really just a bunch of six, seven, six, eight guys running around, playing great defense, rebounding, very frenetic. They can't shoot. So they will be good. But second weekend of the tournament good? I don't know. And then the worry, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. Morez Johnson's great they clearly know how to enter into the transfer portal and get guys on occasion. That is true. Even though they did not get the big guy that Ray J Dennis that really would have changed things and and helped you out immensely. So they'll be, they'll be good. They'll be more than fine. They'll be good. I don't think big 10 championship. Good top four, top five. And that's good. I don't want to come off as ungrateful for that and Jared, I'm glad he brought that up, and we'll get plenty into it as we get closer to basketball. I'm still kind of figuring out where am I at, and, and what do I really expect from this program? I will say that in this name, image, likeness climate, hyper-competitive, power two, if you want to call it that, which is expanding into basketball as well with the Big Ten the SEC. We have the resources and the money to win in basketball, even with a coaching change. I think it's a big year for Brad Underwood in that, despite the success he's had on the court, somehow the excitement, you could chart it, has went down two years in a row now. And there is less buzz, I feel like, going into this basketball season than there has been since 2019. That's not a sign of upward trajectory it's a sign of stagnation. Now, in this case, the stagnation is, oh, darn, we make the NCAA tournament. We finish top four in the Big Ten. Boo-hoo, Carp. Agreed. I'm playing the world's smallest violin. Maybe I should be more grateful. But I think a big story, Jared, as we go forward is, okay, what do we expect? What do we want? And in this college basketball climate where you feel confident that your athletic department is in a very healthy place and you got a bunch of donors that are saying, here, take my money so we can go win games. That... It's not reliant on one guy anymore. I mean, Brad Underwood's not Bill Self. He's not. We'll see what Brad Underwood truly is or what you can, what are you maxing out? And are we okay with it? And I think that's going to be more of the discussion. The team will be more fun to watch. The team will be enjoyable in their own way. Easier to root for, certainly. And, uh, but they can't shoot threes. And, You got to shoot threes. These were terrible defenses and they could not make threes. That doesn't change in a few months. So yeah, I don't know if we learned really anything other than they won't suck and they'll probably be good. So Jared, I hope that makes some sense. I sound like a downer. Oh, they'll be good. Ugh, bummer. It's, uh, but we'll have conversations about it. I want to be as fair as I can. And I might be on an island about this, but uh, it just seems like, all right, football, yay, Brett Bielema. We feel this confidence in the coaching staff for football that I don't think we feel for basketball. And I think there's some reasoning behind it, some legit reasoning behind that. But, hey, thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate you uh, jumping on this YouTube feed for the first time this season. And we will be back uh, a couple more times before we get to football season. Try to get a couple more guests on as well. In the meantime, everybody, though, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you soon. It is the 200 level.